Hi, I'm Sophie Milliken and welcome to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator podcast. Today I'm joined by Stephanie Kaufman, who is managing partner at Teho Ventures, where she advises a number of global brands. So welcome to Stephanie Kaufman, who is joining me from New York today, which is very exciting because I love New York. So very excited to speak to Stephanie, who also has some fantastic experience and I'm sure some very useful advice and stories for everyone. So Stephanie had a 20-year career at Universal Studios, moving up the ranks to Senior Vice President, uh, Global Alliances but five years ago pivoted to women's health and cancer research, where you're now as a chief partnerships officer? It is chief partnerships officer. Wow, well tell us a little bit more about your career story then please, Stephanie. Oh, thank you so much, Sophie. I'm uh, so happy to be with you today. I, um, I had a 20 year career in Universal Studios, um, basically born out of this idea that When I was a young girl, I loved the movies, I loved entertainment, I loved Los Angeles, and I wasn't sure how I was going to get there um, because I grew up in Florida. But I actually started my career at Universal Theme Parks in Orlando and started as a brand manager and figured out that I had this knack for building partnerships. And I was very fortunate that others in my leadership saw that as well and moved up the... um, career path to where I was recognized for my work in partnerships and was asked to lead a group out of Los Angeles that would cover the movie division, home entertainment, and theme parks on a global basis, and bringing brands who wanted to be in films, so product placement, who wanted to have a long-term relationship in our theme parks. And I ran that group for a number of years until about five years ago when, and this happens so often um, for women in their careers, uh, people in their careers, uh, we were acquired by Comcast, who was making some changes within the studio environment and basically was looking to reallocate my group into different areas. And it would have meant that I was going to have to relocate back to Orlando and look at some opportunities with expansion that they were doing um, in Asia. And at that point, I felt it was time to look at something new. And that's where women's health and cancer research was a, a personal passion point. And I figured I had a great run at Universal. I'm ready to do something different. And that's when I joined the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, where I took all my skills I learned in entertainment and partnerships, was able to bring that to BCRF, where we now have a portfolio of 130 partners that are fundraising for uh, cancer research. And so was able to make that pivot around something that I was passionate about. So did you see that job advertised and just think, oh, that's, you know, something that really excites me or were you approached or did someone suggest you for it? Or I think when I realized that um, at Universal, like my group was basically going to be made redundant. And so it gave me a moment to think about, okay, what are my next steps? Do I want to stay in entertainment? What do I want to do? And it was really this idea that I wanted to maybe move into a purpose Uh, space. And literally one night at like 11 o'clock at night, I started Googling chief partnerships officer for, you know, for purpose, for nonprofit. And um, I saw this post for, um, for the role. Um, Actually, it was originally the chief communications officer, which I hadn't really done communications, but I thought I could bring something to the table. 
So, you know, as part of that is I'm a big believer in networking. And so I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who could get to the CEO. And, you know, that's one of the things I always talk about. It's like, you never know who knows somebody. And that's exactly what happened. So um, actually my boss at Universal, um, an incredible woman by the name of Stephanie Sperber, she um, really, you know, helped champion my career and she's a breast cancer survivor. And I said, I think this is what I want to do now. And she's like, you have to do this. So she got my resume in front of two other individuals who immediately advanced it to the CEO. The CEO called me. The next day, we had a conversation about what I could bring to the table from a communications lens, which I hadn't done. I hadn't done PR. I hadn't done media. I, I knew my world of partnerships, but I was very grateful that the CEO understood all the skills, talents, and relationships I could bring to the table. So I started my new role as a chief communications officer. And then as the partnerships opportunity was growing, the board really wanted to um, make some investments in that space. So they said, can you come and run that piece of, of the business for BCRF and help us accelerate some additional funding? And so it was kind of, I got some great experience on the comms front and I got some great experience now bringing back my partnership. But I think the lesson I take out of that is a couple of things is sometimes we as women, we're like, oh, I have to have all of the qualifications to do something. And the reality is, believe in yourself and believe in what you can deliver. And if, even if you're 60% of what the job is asking for, apply. And this is a perfect example of that. I don't have the traditional communications background, but I knew what I could bring to the table. I knew that I could sell myself and that it's a little bit of fake it till you make it. And I, you know, so I, I, I take that as a, a learning, like if there's something that intrigues you and you've got most of what you think you need, apply for the role and you will figure it out. And, um, and that's what I've done. I love that and I, I was just literally about to say that that there's there's a big thing in in the UK where we talk about how women only apply for jobs where they feel like they literally tick every criteria box whereas men I think it's meant to be something like 50 or 60 percent and yeah. then they put themselves forward anyway so I love that you've got a real live example of where you've said right well I can bring this to the table and it's it's looking at um, I, I guess your transferable skills from your previous role and, and what you what you can bring and knowing your value and knowing that you can bring something to the table. I think sometimes um, women or and, and men, you know, we kind of get stuck in one career and we think, oh, we've made this choice now. This is our career. But actually, there's so many things from any role that you can transfer to another role. So it's great to, to hear that in, in action. Okay, so I've got some questions that I want to ask you that relate to some specific topics um, within the book. I'm trying to think which ones I want to ask you because there's so many and I know we won't get through them all. But um, thinking about, uh, I guess, at any point within your career, and actually it might be interesting to hear you reflect on earlier in your career and actually how you feel about this now. But, you know, within, within your career, have you, have you set yourself specific goals within each role in terms of where you want to um which you know getting promoted or, or things like that and or earning this x amount of salary have you have you done that in the past no i absolutely i kind of would map out in my mind this idea of um so when i first started at universal uh studios i was a brand manager and so i knew the work that i i had to do there and what i had to learn but i looked at people that i admired within the theme within the organization I'm like their job is really interesting and so how am I going to get there because I really would like to be you know at this level 
And so I would set out those goals, knowing that those goals are going to change and your path is not always linear into to how you get there. So initially, my goal was eventually, how do I create value? How do I stand out? How do I, how do I think about getting to this point? It was a director level and then eventually a vice president level when I was on the theme park space. And so on that front, it, I, what I did is kind of map out my two-year, my four-year plan, knowing that it will change, and it, and, it, and it really did. And through that process, what I also did to kind of make sure that I was ready was to really understand the business. So I took on assignments. I would raise my hand for assignments that weren't always the glitzy of assignments, but they were kind of the assignments that I knew would make a difference in the business. And, and, and some of those were not sexy assignments at all. Like it was figuring out Universal's call tree. So if you called Universal as a guest to find out information about the theme park, it was not the easiest of experience. So literally, you know, I'm not a call center expert, but unraveling that whole experience made a huge difference and it caught the chairman's eye. And he's like, you can fix problems. I have some special projects for you. And I was a manager. I was also very fortunate that I had a boss at that time who he also saw that in me and he gave me a lot of opportunity to be seen. But no, I absolutely laid out a plan and my goal was I wanted to be one of the youngest vice presidents in a male dominant space, not the first female vice president. I want to be one of the first youngest, I wanted to be the youngest vice president regardless of gender. And I did that and I became um, the youngest vice president at the time in theme parks and that was at, at 31. But more of that was about believing in myself. Yeah, and when he hit that, two things. One, did you celebrate? <laughs> did you stop and give yourself a pat on the back? And, and two, did you then set yourself a new goal? That's a great question. Did I celebrate? I don't know that I celebrated in the way that I should. And I don't know that I really reflected on what I had accomplished. Um, and I think part of that is, I think sometimes as women, we don't allow ourselves to celebrate and we don't allow ourselves to talk about what we've accomplished because we don't want to come off as bragging. We don't see that aspect in our male counterparts, right? And so I, when I reflect on that, I didn't probably take the time to really celebrate what I had accomplished, that I hit vice president, which was you know a significant goal for me that I was able to do in the time that I made happen. So if I look back now, I wish I would have taken that time to celebrate. And so part one of that. Part two is that I set a new goal. Yes, I set a new goal that I was actually ready. I wanted to make a change and move into a bigger role within Universal Studios and, and make a transition actually to Los Angeles. And how could I really now understand the movie side of the business and how was I going to get there? And so I set that goal for myself that within four years time, I wanted to create an opportunity for myself to move into a bigger role um, within corporate partnerships that was enterprise wide. And, and I did hit that goal. I, I moved to LA when I was 35 and, and I was at a vice president level. And from there I was like, okay, how do I, how do I get to senior vice president and have real opportunity to be at the table with, um, with the chairman of the studio? Mm. Sounds exciting. What's, yeah. what's happening on happening with that? So, um, throughout your career, have you had role models that you've looked up to? 
Oh, I have, I have several, several role models um, in different points of, of my career. And it's one of those things that I, I encourage is finding those role models and mentors. And by the way, regardless of where you are in your career today and what age you may be. So I, I would tell you my first role model was many, many years ago, um, an incredible woman, Renda Goodwin. I was, uh, one of my first jobs was working for the Kissimmee St. Cloud Convention and Visitors Bureau, which is a tourism agency um, just right side of Orlando, encouraging visitors to, to come to Kissimmee and be at the doorstep of Walt Disney World. And she came in with all this great experience and I was, you know, really super young and she took me under her wing. And one of the first things that she said to me was your job is not to win Miss America, meaning be Miss Congeny all the time. Your job is to have a voice, to represent a point of view. People are not always going to like you, but if you are respectful and you represent your point of view with a respect and tone and commitment, then you're doing your job. You can't please everybody at the time, but you got to do what's right for the business. And that has always stuck with me in terms of that gift that, that she gave me. And we actually, you know, we moved together to another career path before I joined uh, Universal. So she was my first role model. Um, and to this day, I keep in touch with her and I use her as a touchstone for advice. And then when I moved into Universal, I actually had um, a couple of role models. Uh, and I, you know, so, so often we talk about women role models, but I was very fortunate to have some male executives who really championed my career. Um, and I had three. I had Fred Lounsbury, who was our senior vice president of sales, who also was very much do what was right for the business. And he believed in my talent. So he would give me opportunity to say, here's what you need to do. And so I would take a look at how he interacted with his team, how he, um, if, if there was some sort of mistake that was made, I always admire the fact that he did not try to throw somebody under the bus on his team. He's like, you know what, we made that mistake, we're gonna address it. And so he owned it as a leader. And then he would have a private conversation like, okay, here's how we're gonna adjust. So that was a leadership lesson that I took. And finally, you know, a big um, person who influenced my career was Ron Meyer, or is Ron Meyer, who's the chairman of NBC Universal and the head of Universal Studios. And what I always appreciated, and to this day I appreciate about Ron, is he makes it, a, makes it an effort to return every phone call, every email that he gets, regardless of where that is, within 24 to 36 hours, because every voice matters. And so it's reminded me that it's always important to stay in communication with everyone that, that comes through in, in whatever capacity. And he also very much had the, the mantra of assumption is the mother of all F-ups. He says it uh, a little bit more plainly than that. It's like, don't ever assume, just really do the work and just don't coast by. So I've had several, several mentors. And then my last mentor was Stephanie Sperber, who I've mentioned previously, who led my group and she was a big believer and be brief, be brilliant and be gone to make the work happen. And those are some of the um, role models and leadership lessons I took from that. Mm, there's some good ones there. I like it. I like it. It's good. Thinking about the people that you um, surround yourself with, do you think that the people that you surround yourself with affect your performance? A hundred percent. I think if you, surround yourself with people who have shared values in terms of how they interact with you mm -hmm. that want to figure things out 
and create resourcefulness and solutions and are all about, again, what's right for the business, how do we affect change? When you're in that energy, I feel like you accomplish more. I certainly have been in groups where it just gets mired down in petty office politics and gossip. And so what I find in those instances when I have seen myself in that thing, it brings the energy way down. It doesn't make you as enthusiastic about your role. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to do is try to surround myself with people who just want to do great work and want to advance things. And, and certainly you always have to navigate some of the politics that exist, but you don't have to be the gossip reporter. Mm -hmm. And so I do find in those, those energies, it just becomes a toxic energy. And I'd rather be with folks who have shared energy of doing great work that we can be proud of. And then how do we look to advance each other? And sometimes I do feel we don't allow ourselves in that, you know, kind of gossip, like how are we elevating how are we elevating our group? How are we elevating our peers? How am I elevating the, the colleagues who are on my team? And so I think it's really important to look at who you're surrounding yourself by and kind of the energy and the voice in which they are creating opportunities in the, in the organization you work for. I definitely agree with that. And I think because I've been out of corporate life for, for quite a while now because I run a business rather than sort of being a huge business, I, I feel like that that's a bit a bit easier for me in some ways because yeah. I can surround myself with other business owners um, very easily. And, and, and so I've got quite a tight tribe of, of other business owners that um, they don't operate in the same field as me. If they did, I don't think that would matter. I think that's kind of irrelevant, but we all get each other's challenges and, and we support each other. How is that possible within a, a larger organization like the ones you've worked for? Is it that you, because you've got to be careful how many, I mean, I remember, you know, I worked for a big retailer in, in the UK and it's hard once you start getting promoted mm -hmm. to interact with people within the organization in the same way if you're then managing them. So is it a case that you seek to build your tribe or your supporters more externally or you look to friends or how does that work in a big organization no that's a great question particularly if you find yourself being promoted and you kind of leave a group where you may have been peer-to-peer -peer. Mm -hmm. so i think it's a couple of things for me in terms of how was i looking to build my tribe uh number one i would still look to the the group of people I would work with who may have been peer-to-peer -peer and like what were those relationships there and how would I think about navigating those but I think more importantly is like now that if I've, if I've been promoted there's going to be a whole new circle of people I'm going to be interacting with so what I would look to is who is making a difference who's actually leading with conviction um, and trying to do the right things we don't always get it right who was really creating teams that felt like they were high performance but but respectful and i would look to like how do i get into those those circles because they there's some shared values so what i would do is even if it was not in the group that i was currently in is i would then reach out like i really appreciated your work on x y and z would love to get to know more about that and so i would try to actually find those external groups um, whether that was, you know, if I think about my studio experience, where I, sometimes I would go outside the studio and really try, and, and the studio business is really interesting. It's not like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, which is super competitive and you never talk to Coke. If you work for Pepsi, you don't ever talk to somebody at Coca-Cola. In the, in the movie studio business, 
we all kind of had this shared thing, like, because our films would be different. So I would actually lean on some of my outside studio contacts to understand how they were navigating through their workspace. And then also I looked at the friends, I looked at, you know, my friendship groups and try to build that tight. I like to keep my, I I do like to keep my, uh, my, what I would call my internal tribe pretty tight Mm -hmm. relative to my friend group, to my work group. Um, And then also as I look externally, like who, who makes sense for me to have in my tribe? Because there's also this situation where we only have so many hours in the day. So I also want to look at where I'm investing my time and my energy. And, and so I definitely use that filter because I only like you and everybody else, there's only 24 hours in the day. So where am I investing my time on those, on, on those tribes that make sense and where I don't want to deal with what I call sometimes the, um, the energy vampires that just suck the energy out of the room. How do I mitigate that? Because I want to be, I want to be able to go deep and um, resourceful with the tribes that I do have. Mm, that's great. So you've touched on this slightly, so I know which question I'm going to talk to you about next. Okay. Um, and and I, I always feel a bit frustrated bringing this up as a topic because I don't hear men talking about it in the same way, but it's an issue. So, I, you know, it's something that I do want to talk about. So, and it's work-life balance. Yes. We get asked about it all the time. And in, in the book, uh, the topic that I've written about with with work life balance or my view my view is actually that it's not possible so you quite often read stuff with women going you can have it all and you can do this and you do that and actually I don't think that's fair or true and I think it, it you set yourself up to fail if you think that that is possible and my, my view is that the closest you can get to it is to prioritize what's important to you at that point in time but it can't be everything you have to pick the few things so you know, I look at things in terms of family, work, health, um, maybe exercise, social, you know, all those things. And you can just do a bit, but not everything at the same time. What, what do you think, Stephanie? I, I think probably one of the biggest myths that have been sold to women is that you can have it all and you can balance everything and you can do it all on your own. And I think uh, for me, I think it's a, it's a total myth. The work-life balance is in some ways an oxymoron. You're constantly having to pick, you're constantly having to choose and you don't always feel great about those choices. And I think, you know, for me, um, it becomes a, a scenario of exactly that is looking at my calendar every day. What am I, compartmentalizing in terms of, okay, I, there are going to things that, that are going to fall. They just are, you know, you, you can't be, you know, running a company and all that that entails. And then, you know, being fully engaged, like you have to figure out the tension and how to navigate that. And I do think that that's just one of the biggest um, fallacies that's sold into women. Like if you want to be in that leadership and you do the best that you can at the end of the day, you just do the best that you can and figure out today I'm going to focus on this and this is going to be the priority. And then I'm going to give my energy over here and, and, and feel okay about it. Cause anybody who's telling you that they can manage it all, I would want to know what additional resources are they tapping into to manage it all. Mm-hmm. And, and if they have that, that's amazing. But I think it's, it's an unfair burden to place on women that we, we've got to be perfect in every aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not true. We're going to, we're going to have our misses and it's not going to be perfect. And sometimes it's messy and we just have to figure out how we schedule our lives. And we have to know that certain things are not going to be, um, always perfect and prioritized in the way they should. And you just got to get through it day by day. 
Yeah, I really like the fact that I think everyone that I've spoken to so far has, has said the same thing. And, you know, I think sort of when I, I think it was more when I got married, I'm, I'm divorced now, but when I got married and had, had my daughter and stuff, and at that point, it just felt like everything was becoming really stressful because I've always been ambitious and I've always wanted to progress at work. And I had, you know, a very successful corporate career before I set my business up. And it just felt like all these pressures were on me at once. And it was like, how do people manage this? And it's in some ways it's easier now because um, financially I can afford to outsource things. And I think as soon as people are able to do that, they should and not feel any guilt about that. So, um, cause that helps, that helps you. But it's like you say, you know, you can't, you just can't do everything. It's insane to think that you can. And I think we need to just be more honest about that because if people feel that there's this sort of myth that, you know, that, that it's true that you can do everything, then they're just setting themselves up to fail and they'll just never get any sleep and <laughs> just be doing stuff all the time. <laughs> just not realistic is it, it really it's not it, it's completely it's just unrealistic and I think in my case kind of a, a scenario was um I um I am the stepmom to three children and so I was you know um I had been married previously but there was a huge gap in which I wasn't and then when I remarried I was 42 no kids 42 and now I'm a stepmom to three. Three at the time they were 11, eight and three. They're amazing kids, but my whole life changed in terms of there are now, you know, um, recitals to go to and baseball games. And then, you know, um, I was like, I want to coach softball. I'm like, okay, when, when am I going to figure out the time to do that yeah. and, and, and be present? And so, you know, I, I kind of, in my, in my way, zoomed into having three kids, you know, over overnight stepchildren mm -hmm. and it's been great but finding that balance and i and i think it also changed my lens too like work-life balance is a myth um because then i was actually you know certainly living it versus being a you know a single a single person and so we got to just give each other uh you know give each other a break absolutely yeah i agree with that so when when you are at work in work mode do you have a preference in terms of your working pattern like are you an early bird or a night owl you know what, what's your preference yeah i i am i'm definitely more of a night owl i've always been a night owl um uh just i i don't know why now do do i have i do the early meetings sure do i I personally love doing, you know, 8 a.m. meetings. No, not necessarily. So kind of what my schedule looks like, um, just for me, I think at night I can kind of really think about, you know, where, where I want to go. It's, it's not a style for everybody. But what I do try to do in the morning is block out my calendar from eight to nine, not because I don't have meetings, but it gives me an hour just to look at my day, look at what we need to accomplish, um, you know, kind of sets the tone for the day. And it helps me to, quite frankly, uh, skim all the business headlines that need to be skimmed so I can be really informed on what's going on in, in the space that I occupy. So I can, you know, be able to bring that to the table and then really look to kind of be ready to go by, by nine or 10, depending on what our schedules look like. And then for me, um, what I try to do is if I, if I just tend to be more of a night owl anyway, but obviously be present for my family. And then, um, you know, I'll take a look at, if I, if I need to do work 
that's, you know, then I'll look to kind of go back online at 10 o'clock at night. It's not for everybody, but it's just, I've always been a night owl um, from, from that lens. But for me, it's actually, I, I do think it's important to block out time on your calendar in the morning, just so you can have a moment to like set your priorities for the day and like knock out some of the, the, the emails that you're like, oh, I got to just deal with it. Knock that out. And that way you can start your day of meetings fresh and not having all of that kind of what I would call housekeeping work um, hanging over your head. I think there's a lot to be said for planning. I feel that I've come to planning quite late. I guess I've always had sort of two to-do lists and um, the last couple of years I've got way more into it and I've discovered bullet journaling. I don't know if you've come across that and those sorts of things. And I feel that by taking that time out to plan things and I like to, I, I'm, I'm like a real planning out. So at the beginning of the year, I like to plan the year at a very high level and then I like to do of a monthly plan, a weekly plan, and review things. And I feel that if I don't do that, I am definitely not so productive. So that does that does help for me. And I think like you in the morning, I like to have that time first thing. And I'm the opposite to you because I'm I'm definitely an early bird. Like I'm up 5 a.m. Bing, just wait for that. <laughs> I don't even set my alarm anymore. I just wake up. But then the downside of that is, you know, come the evening, I'm kind of <laughs> falling asleep probably when you're coming to life. But um, I guess if you can ideally um, work in a way that that suits whichever your preference is then that's that's the ideal really isn't it so obviously you've had loads of success with your career and you you've done some really cool stuff would you say that you've ever had a case of imposter uh, imposter syndrome have you come across that where, where i was like why am i here how did I get here? Yeah, do you have that over there? Because it's a big sort of buzzword, I guess, over here with, with women in particular, frustratingly about how, yeah, you kind of feel like, how, yeah, how did it happen? How did I get here? I'm not good enough or they're going to find me out or that sort of thing. Do you have yeah, that? No, I, 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 don't I, don't, I, I think particularly if you, uh, you know, you're advancing in your career and you're like, wait a minute, I'm now at the table with people I've read about. How did, how did that happen? And, and certainly, you know, I think about one instance. Um, I got a phone call from from a boss that I had, and he, and there was a very big meeting with a very big corporation about closing a pretty significant deal. And so he was supposed to head over to Europe, and he was getting ready to fly out. Couldn't find his passport. So I get a call from his office, like he can't find his passport. You're going to have to go. And this is a significant deal. You know, I thought, oh my goodness, my career is now going to be on the line. Fortunately, I had basically worked on the whole presentation and scripting out what it needed to be and what the deal points were going to need to be. So thankfully I knew that. And so literally I had two hours to get on a plane and fly over to Europe and present to the corporate board of this corporation for ultimately what would have been a $200 million deal. And I, I definitely had that moment of, how, wait, why am I here? How did I get here? Am I the right person to be doing this deal? And then the pressure of like, if this doesn't work and the deal doesn't come through, will, will it be questioned, was it because of me? Because, you know, my boss didn't go or was it because the deal was maybe not the right deal? So I definitely had that moment of like, how did I get here? And then, so I think that there's that piece. And definitely when I was in the movie studio business, I had read about a lot of people like, you know, in, in Vanity Fair and I'd be at the table negotiating, you know, big product placement deals that included 
you know, movie directors and, um, uh, you know, talent and celebrity and well, figuring out those I'm like, why am I here? Like, how did that happen? A small town girl from Kissimmee, Florida, who finished her bachelor's degree at 31, you know, um, you know, big dreams, like how on earth did I get here? So yeah, I've had that moment. And then, and then I'm like, oh, I know I'm here. Yeah. So it's just that reassuring yourself, yeah. isn't it? I bet you've got some great stories to tell from some of those those days with directors and oh sure. There's, there's all sorts hot topics still, I think, mm -hmm. even now, isn't there? So that's interesting. Um, so we we have something in the UK. I don't know whether you use this phrase as well, where we talk about paying it forward. Yeah. So in terms of supporting other other women etc and clearly you're a fan because you've, you've joined me today and and um and you wanted to get involved with with this project but what else do you do in your in your normal life to to pay it forward to support uh, other women coming through the ranks no i i'm a huge you know listen there were people who were there for me and helped me get to my career level so it's always been this idea like then i have a responsibility I have a responsibility to young women to help them navigate their career journey. So a couple, a couple of things that I do is, you know, on a, on a personal front, I look at, you know, volunteer boards that I can be a part of that kind of have that ethos. Uh, so I currently sit on the board of the International Women's Media Foundation, which is about helping women, women in journalism, um, be able to have the resources and the capacity to be able to tell those stories and 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 having a free press because, you know, journalism doesn't have always the most equity and sometimes female journalists don't always get you know if you look at bylines, so I'm on that board in terms of how can I help with my experience uh, advance advance their ability to tell those stories. I'm also a big fan of if someone reaches out to me and says, hey, can I have a coffee um, or can I can I just talk to you about your career path. I really try to make space for people who reach out to me. Um, I'm also a big believer in um, being a mentor. And so wherever I can give time to people in my own organization and, and, and help um, listen to what are they, what are they thinking about for their career path? What are they trying to navigate through? How would they handle a situation? So I try to be a mentor. I try to be someone that I can help them network. And then finally, I try to find organizations where I can effectuate change for women's progression. But I think ultimately, you know, the advice that we give is for those of us who've been able to kind of move up into our careers, we have an obligation to lift up women. And sometimes we as women don't always do that in the right way, but we have an obligation to help them understand their career paths and make introductions and help them network and then mentor them in a way that um, is hopefully helpful and valuable to, to their career path. And if you're not doing that, I would encourage you to, you get so much more out of it than you put in, quite frankly. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, okay, I'm conscious that we're, we're almost out of time, which sure. is really, really fast. But it, to end, what one key piece of advice have you received which has served you really well um, or, or, or a piece of advice that you've just got that you would like to pass on? I think there's two pieces. Number one, aim high and then deliver. So again, kind of earlier in our conversation, like if you have 60% of what you believe a career needs, Go for it, aim high, and then you know that you can deliver it. So that's number one. Number two, I would say failure is learning. I have definitely have had failures in careers or projects, and I learned so much about that. And then how did I take that and then 
put that into practice. So I would take, take a look at those um, two things. And the third piece of advice that I walk away is read. Do more than just Facebook, do more than social media, like read, take a look at, um, uh, business, you know, so find an aggregator, like a courts to read the business headlines. So when you're at the table with whoever you may be at the table with, where finally you find yourself at the table with the chairman, you can actually know about what's going on in the business, what's happening in the world. And you won't be able to always be on the ready with those types of, um, opportunities. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Oh, it's been so nice to talk to you. And, uh, uh, you've got some great stories and some great advice. It's really interesting. When everything goes back to normal, maybe when, I, when I'm next in New York and come and see you or come to one of your events, if you run yes. big events, that would be cool. We would, love, we would love to have you. And I just want to extend my thanks to you for putting out there what, how women can really power up their career and taking the time to reach out to women at various points in their career, entrepreneurs, corporate executives. Um, so I really applaud the work that you're doing. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator as much as I enjoyed recording it. If this was your first experience of tuning in, go back and listen to previous episodes as there are some brilliant ones. Please do go and check those out. Hope to catch you next time.